All right, good evening. And so, once again, tonight we find ourselves in the first letter of John, here in John chapter 2, and we're going to uh, press on uh, tonight into verses 15 through 17. Now, as we mentioned earlier, it is... uh, it has been almost two months, uh, nearly, uh, since we have been together in First John with all of the things associated with the holidays and vacation and things falling the, the way they did. We haven't had a, a regular Sunday night. Um, we haven't had a regular Sunday night service in, in quite some time. So what I want to do tonight is um, I was going to do 15 on all the way through the end of 25 and decided that was probably too ambitious under the circumstances. So what I want to do tonight is kind of get us back on the page of the book where we're at and begin to introduce some some really heavy-duty eschatology stuff that John is going to talk about when he moves on into verse 18. So when you consider the first letter of John, it is very different from what we see in the Gospel of John. This is a communication uh, not to an audience at large, but between people that are intimately familiar with each other in striving after the things of the kingdom of heaven. And so John writes, and he writes doing what the people of the kingdom of heaven always do. He writes proclaiming the gospel, but he writes proclaiming it to a known audience who is known by Christ. John writes proclaiming the message of a gospel. A message that, like we were talking about today, is manifesting the Christ who he personally saw and heard and touched. An event that happened at the very beginning of... Christ's ministry and is continuing across time through the apostles, through generations of faith that by this time that John is writing in his old age have already believed and some of them been persecuted to death for their belief all the way down through the millennium, through the Holy Roman Empire, the collapse of the empire, the dark ages, the reign of the Catholic Church and the great reformation the great awakening of the Americas, the Protestant Revolution and all that came with it, even down to you and me. And he proclaims this, he says, in order that these future generations may have fellowship with him, with all of the rest of the apostles, and all of this in the person of the gospel, because of the message of the gospel, the person that is Jesus Christ. And this fellowship that is produced when the gospel is effectively communicated is not one of the legalism of sinless perfection, John says, lest we be liars and say we are holier than we are. Nor is it in the lasciviousness of saying God has no real concerns over the sin of His people, lest we make Him out to be a liar, but instead is based on a relationship that is abiding in Christ, abiding to to be somewhere with the idea of rest, Literally, to to rest in Christ. An abiding that is not completely unique to Christians because it is patterned off the same abiding that Christ enjoys with the Father. It begins with the gift of love for Christ that comes through the Holy Spirit. It is manifest when because of that gift we are obedient to His commands which in turn proves His people to be His disciples, that Christ's joy may be complete in them. And 
And the kind of joy that understands certainty and security and the faithfulness of what Christ has done in His people and will continue to do. And man, that's... Guys, that is such a big deal. You understand, when we talk about what we talked about Susie earlier and the attitude that she has, specifically with this defibrillator, you understand that what that is, is the spiritual reality of the certainty of faithfulness in her Lord that she has that is then manifesting itself in a particular situation and the way she's going to respond to it. And man, you can give it lip service all day long, but it's when the rubber meets the road that these things are manifest and then you really see the fullness of joy in Jesus Christ and His people when it, when it just goes, look, all this stuff is swirling and it's just... Let's go get a defibrillator. And sin is a reality. I mean, all you have to do is look in the mirror. Every, every year you see the, the, the physical results of sin marching across the lines in your face. <laughs> when we do sin, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous who is interceding literally getting between us and the judgment of God. We don't have time to go into it tonight but when John speaks about it in, in the Gospel of John when we, see, when we see Paul talking about it there is a very real sense that one and only one because there's a list of reasons but one of the functional reasons you see Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father is to be the immediate intercessor when the accusations of Satan come against the people of God. He is right there interceding for His people because He is the only mediator between God and men. And He's the only mediator between God and men because He is the only one that is fit to be able to provide propitiation. Not to the Jew only, but instead to the whole world, to all the peoples, Gentiles like you and me, so that we all together may gnosko, that we may intimately know Him. The commandment that John gives, he says, is both in Him and in us. It is both old and it is new. It is an old commandment in Christ, but it was hidden in ages past and it has now been revealed so that it is new and in you and in me, the new creation. It is a new reality with a new being and a new character. And whether you're talking about the old or the young in age or the immature or the experienced spiritually, the new being is forgiven, knows Christ. John says you have overcome, you know the Father, you know Christ, you have being, you abide, and you have overcome. And with each one of those, we can say praise the Lord. And then from an outside perspective, we can say if you're going to claim to be part of the kingdom of heaven, you better have those. Because the opposition to the kingdom of heaven is also a reality. Both with the Gnostics that were the present reality that John was writing about immediately in that day. And the spirit from which it was flowing out of. 
that he knew full well would continue to quote-unquote reinvent itself while being exactly the same thing over and over and over across the course of history until it comes to its ultimate expression. He begins to speak, having spoke about what it looks like to abide in Christ and the message that he was delivering, here in verse 15 through 17, he begins to speak about that which will stand in opposition to it. And he speaks about it as being the world. And you got to love old apostles, man, on... You know, there. Look, when you read some of John's stuff, it is the you know it is as complex. Only Paul, in the New Testament, gets more complex, and and even Paul doesn't get as mysterious as John does. And there's some things about the kingdom that are extremely complex, so complex the Scripture says we won't understand it in full till we see Christ face to face. There is some of it that is extremely mysterious because it hasn't been revealed yet. And that's on purpose, that's intentional by God. And yet, there's some of it that's really straightforward. And so when John is shifting gears and he's going to talk about the world, and what is coming out of it? What is coming out of it is complex and mysterious, but there's a baseline protocol for the kingdom of heaven and how they ought to respond to it. And basically, John says this, when it comes to the love of the world, don't. (laughs) Good, safe place to be. Just don't. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides for ever. Now you got to remember as we begin to, to, to kind of look at this here, and it is a very simple statement, but you've got to remember that John has already, like I said, it's been two months, but John has already tied the reality of Christian being to the reality of abiding in the being of God and Him abiding in us. And if that abiding is maintained, and I would tell you if it's legitimate abiding out of, out of Ephesians, it absolutely will be maintained. But if that, if, if that abiding is maintained, then the realities and the outcome for the people of God that are abiding in God are going to be the same realities and the same outcome as His. Because they are at rest together. And so it's, you know, um, you know. Here in the next few minutes, uh, we're all here in this room together. We got nice weather tonight, praise the Lord. But we're all here in this room together. And if, if, if the and we're at rest together. And if the, if you know, if the weather stays nice, uh, then uh, you know all of our outcomes are going to be pretty similar. When we're done, we're going to pray and we're going to break up. And Lord willing, we'll go our separate ways to our to our homes and. And um, you know, be the kingdom until we come back again next Sunday. Um, on the other hand, if if that changes and 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 an earthquake opens up the ground and swallows up this place, or an F five tornado drops down on top of our heads, here we all are together in the same place, and and our circumstance and outcome is going to be very similar. And, and that's that's the reality for the people of God. Is look, if you're abiding in Him, then 
wherever He goes is where He's going to take you. And where He's going is a very different place than where the world's going. And so you better love one and not the other. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. The word that he's using here to speak about the world is the most common in the text, and it's cosmos. And it, it, Just like when we talk about the world um, in the English language, there's a, multiple uses, and context really is key. You talk about the world, you can be talking about the entirety of the physical creation. When you talk about the cosmos, you can be talking about the entirety of the universe. Typically, when we transliterate that into the English, that's what we're talking about. But it's, it, it's not necessarily what the Greek language was talking about. It all depends on context. It can be talking about simply the planet Earth. It can be talking about all of mankind. and It can even be talking about certain portions of mankind. But here it is speaking, as it often does, of the spiritual reality of this creation. When he says the world, he's not talking about the third rock from the sun. When he says the world, he's not talking about all of the different tribes and peoples and languages uh, that are on the planet. Um, when, when he says the world, he's not talking about the universe. He's talking about the spiritual reality that is associated with this creation. Namely, the reality of rebellion that is occurring between the sentient creatures, the image-bearing creatures, the ones that are self-aware and made in the image of God. And when it comes to that world, and you know, we get this. So he, he's not saying, "Don't love a sunset," right? Because oh, it's part of the world. Don't love a sunset. It's not what he's saying. He, he, he's not saying, um, you know, that uh, that the farmer can't have a love for, for for the dirt that the Lord put under his feet. That is that is not what he's saying. Um, because if, if he was, I could take you to a ton of scriptures, a lot of them in the Psalms and Proverbs, that would seem to stand in complete contradiction. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is having no love for the spiritual reality that is associated with the creation in its fallen position. He says, don't love it and don't love the things that are in it. And, and the word here is agapeo. I mean, it's, it's, it's love with intention. And, and this is on purpose because what John's going to do is to present the kingdom of this world as the, as the parallel opposition to the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is all about the agapeo. It's all about the love that is driven by intention for God. That's not just driven by simple response, but the idea that the Lord is worthy the glory that is due His name. And we know it. And we should respond that way. And we do respond that way because of the new creation that is in us. This is love on purpose. This is what Jesus was talking about when He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And so here's John taking what Jesus said and the concept behind it and applying it once again and saying, Look, when it comes to love with intention, it better be the Father... It better be Christ. It better be the Spirit. It better be God that you are loving and not the things of this world. If you'll notice, there is a, there is a set of parallels that are occurring all the way from verse 15 to verse 17 
And I fully believe that John's using it to get our attention and highlight the extreme differences between these two kingdoms before he starts talking about how these two kingdoms are going to interact with each other. Because that's what's coming next. He says, this is what the world's going to do. This is what we're going to do. This is what the world's going to look like. This is what we're going to look like. This is how they're going to respond to us. This is how we're going to respond to them. This is what to expect. And before we get started, he wants you to know these two things are as far apart as they possibly can be. They're as far as east is from west, so to speak. They are unreconcilable with each other. And we may take that for granted that the two are unreconcilable with each other, but um, the fact of the matter is, is John knew there was a very real threat in the church that was going to attempt, and this is you know, when, when he starts talking, when Paul starts talking about wolves rising up among you, Peter talks about the same thing. John's going to talk about the same concept. It always revolves around this idea that in the midst of the church, they're not the church, but in the midst of the church, those that claim to be will rise up and attempt to reconcile the kingdom of heaven with the kingdom of this world. And it has happened consistently over the last two millennia. It's happened consistently. It's happened over and over and over. It's exactly what the Gnostics were trying to do in John's day. It is what the um, Holy Roman Empire, it was a holy nightmare, is what it was, the, the quote-unquote Holy Roman Empire, it's what they did much more successfully um, uh, from, from about 370 uh, A.D., just about 270 years after John wrote this, um, on uh, until until the late 1500s. I mean, they, they did it for a long time. It is what is being attempted um, in a lot of um, ecumenical um, organizations today, most notably the Worldwide Council of Churches, which sounds like a great idea and is absolutely positively the work of Satan and nothing less. He says, look at, look at the parallels here. Verse 15, don't love the world or the things in the world. What's the reasoning for this? It's because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so, don't love the world, love the Father. Now, John puts it in the negative, but it's rhetorical. I mean, you're supposed to understand. <laughs> don't love the world, do love the Father. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Don't have worldly desires because they're not of the Father. You're abiding in Him. Have the Father's desires. Verse 17, the world is passing away along with His desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John says, before we even start talking about how it's going to unfold, I want you to understand that in this conflict, the world will lose. The spiritual reality of this creation will lose. And it will lose to the one who created it. To the point that it will be annihilated. It won't just suffer a defeat. It will be full annihilation. It will pass away. It will cease to exist. But to those who are abiding in God, 
Those who are abiding in the Father who are abiding in Christ, they are at rest in Him and wherever He goes, whatever His condition is, is going to be where they go and what their condition is. And they, like Him, will abide forever. This is the reality of abiding in Him. I've got a couple of things about the pride of life down here, but they're really academic. And so I think with it being 7 o'clock, we'll just leave it there for tonight. Here's the thing. John says, you don't love the world, you love the Father. You don't have the desires of the world, you have the desires of God. The world will pass away. Those that abide in the Father will abide forever. Get that in your head, what we're talking about. We're talking about light and dark. We're talking about good and evil. We're talking about the finite and the vulgar and the holy, the finite and the infinite. And it's going to play out in a very dramatic way. And the people of God need to understand what that way looks like so that as it is playing out, that they may be ready to respond in the way that the kingdom should respond. The world is definitely has a plan and a purpose. And it's definitely prideful. And that is clear by what it is engaged in. Moving on next week in chapter 2, verse 18, John says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming... So now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know it is the last hour. You know, everybody, you, you get those questions a lot, man. What, what's, what, what's the end going to look like? And, and the apostles ask those questions. They're good questions to ask. Um, but we would do well to note, um, and don't get your ten full hats out, okay? from a maybe not from a temporal reality maybe not from a temporal reality I don't know they may sign a treaty in Jerusalem within the next hour but I, I doubt that will happen but John's not talking about a temporal reality as a matter of fact he's already made the statement that the stuff I'm saying is specifically so that from the beginning all the way through to the end you may hear the message that gives your relationship about the person of the gospel. From a spiritual reality, we are in the last hour before the end. There is nothing else. Now, you know, John the Baptist couldn't say that. There was something else coming. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There is no next step. The next step is the rise of the Antichrist and all that comes with it. The next step is the end.